Welcome to those who are uh, joining us. Yeah, you're exactly right. Uh, welcome to those of you that are joining us online uh, for our uh, Wednesday night equip. We're grateful that you're here. We've been talking a little bit over the last few minutes about uh, my sermon on Sunday from um, Genesis 38. We look forward to being in Genesis 39, maybe a little bit easier of a text to preach uh, this coming uh, Sunday, but certainly glad that we're all gathered here today or gathered online or watching this later as we continue to talk about uh, spiritual gifts. So I'd like to pray for us, and then we will uh, get into our time of studying together today. Father, I thank you for the gathered church, um, for those who would be blessed by this teaching, whether they're here with us right now, or watching with us online, or maybe uh, joining in later. Um, would, would the word of God uh, do what it does in every situation, and instruct us, correct us, uh, and continue to grow us into the image of your son. Uh, would you, through this, I ask especially, Lord, uh, use um, this uh, month-long teaching on gifts to edify the church, to help us to see uh, that each of us uh, play an important role in carrying out your mission for our local body as we seek to make disciples that make disciples. Thank you, God, that we are gifted uh, men and women uh, that can use those gifts for the sake of your kingdom uh, on earth, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is week three. If you're new with us, we're uh, spending a month talking about spiritual gifts, and we introduced the idea of spiritual gifts being any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. That's the working definition that we're going off of. Um, there, there are likely other definitions. Maybe you have thought about spiritual gifts in, in a little bit of a different light, but we needed a working definition. So every time I say it, it's the, any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of uh, the local church, which is a fairly broad um, definition means that there could be numerous things that fit under spiritual gifts. Certainly means that people could have more than one spiritual gift or be gifted for specific tasks that's in specific moments. In week one, we talked about the fact that you are necessary, that if God has brought you here, he's brought you here for a reason, he's gifted you for a reason, and God is intricately weaving together the, the tapestry that is his kingdom on earth through the, the expression of, of local churches and that God didn't make a mistake when he brought you here with the gifting that you have and that your gift is important and needed. And so we want you to be able to use that gifting to the fullest extent that, that is possible, that God gifts people in, by different means according to his grace, according to the very grace of God, we're told uh, by the Apostle Paul, meaning your gift may not ever be that of the gifting of another in, in the quantity of the gift, right? The number of gifts or even the quality of the gift that someone may be able to do what you do better than you. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it because God has gifted you and you should serve to uh, the fullest extent possible within his church. Then last week we introduced, really this week and last week go together. We've been talking about 1 Peter chapter 4 where, Paul, where Peter writes, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. 
And so last week we talked about the fact that some people are gifted, as verse 11 of 1 Peter 4 says, as those who speak and that they are speaking as ones who speak oracles of God, that, that there is, there is spirit-gifted speech that is important for the life of the church. And we looked at spiritual gifts, uh, the general gift of teaching, and then some of the other gifts that complement the spiritual gift of teaching, like the spiritual gifts of knowledge and wisdom, uh, of um, in- encouragement, of discernment, how each of these in one way or another either pairs with the spiritual gift of teaching or is a response. And then in, in the, uh, like with the spiritual gift of discernment, it's really a response to the gift of teaching that, that someone hears and affirms that something is of God or hears and, and, and condemns a teaching as not being in accordance with uh, the word of God. I told you, and I, I think this probably played, uh, played out last week as I was talking through those varying gifts and we were seeing examples. We'll do the same thing this week, seeing examples from the scriptures of how Jesus shows us this gift and how someone else in the scriptures show us these gifts that most of you probably didn't directly identify with one of those gifts that the majority of people within the church are actually going to be gifted with one or more of the gifts that we're going to talk about tonight, that there are fewer teachers or fewer people with with those teaching type gifts that are needed within the church and that more people are needed to do kind of hands and feet ministry, service, uh, what Paul says here, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So th- there are going to be people that meet emotional, practical, physical mercy needs within the, the congregation. And, and more people are going to be needed to do that than are going to be needed to stand up and, and teach in front of people. But because of that, because of the nature of teaching gifts and serving gifts, because teaching gifts oftentimes are upfront. Serving gifts are oftentimes in the back because uh, teaching gifts uh, are often reserved for few, where serving gifts are often given to many. There are some pitfalls that we need to address just from the outset as we talk about, uh, as we begin to talk about what some of the serving gifts are in the scriptures and what, how they play out in the life of our church. So I, I just thought of two just things that people may say about the serving gifts or way that people may approach them that are, that are attitudes that we would want to just preemptively correct. The first is that oftentimes serving gifts seem less than when compared to teaching gifts. They seem less than in, in a couple of ways. In some ways, they seem less spiritual. That the more spiritually mature someone is, the more likely they are to be a teacher or a preacher or a small group leader or be knowledgeable of scripture in a, in a spiritual gift sense or be wise in a spiritual gift sense, right? That we, that we often think that those who are vocal about, about scripture are the, more, are the more spiritual among us and maybe the people that are cleaning up after everything is done are the less spiritual. Well, if that's the way that you think about spiritual gifts, you really need to have a, a correction because the spiritual gifts are, are not, uh, the teaching gifts and the serving gifts are not, one is greater than and one is less than from a spiritual sense. They're, they're certainly not. Um, 
and, and I think I affirmed this last week. If I didn't, let me, let me just affirm it now. If, if, if it required the, the most spiritually mature person in the congregation to be the, the lead teacher, the, you know, the primary preacher for the congregation, then you would probably have in a whole lot of churches right now the wrong person preaching. And I would probably venture to say that's true in this church that I'm probably not the most spiritually mature person here. I just think about our elders and think there are some of our elders that I long to have the spiritual maturity that, that some of those men uh, possess. And so um, that we, we don't need to, to have some type of spiritual hierarchy based off of the kind of gift teaching versus uh, serving that a person would have. The other way we often see them as less than is more practical. It's just that we see them less than as an importance. Because you would say we really have to have a preacher, right? We have to have a teacher. We, we have to have people in small groups that will teach. Well, that's true. We do have to have that. But folks, if we don't have the people with serving gifts, then those who teach aren't going to be able to do it. If, if, if we don't have, I think we're going we're gonna to look into Acts 6 um, uh, later when we, get to, um, when, we, when we get into some of these specific gifts. But we see that play out early in the life of the, of the early church that the teaching responsibilities of the apostles in the, in the church in Jerusalem got so great and the, the, the physical needs of the congregation also rose to the point they couldn't do everything, that they had to find people to meet those needs. Because if, if they didn't do, if, they, if those needs weren't met, they weren't going to be able to do the, the teaching that the apostles needed to do. And if they stopped doing that, then it wasn't going to get done. So it's not that one of these is more important than the other, either from a personal spiritual perspective or from a importance level within the body. When you serve the church, and I'm looking out here recognizing probably 80% of the people in this room right now are gifted to serve the body uh, in some type of practical way. And if that's you, know this, what you do in service to the mission of God at this church is just as important as what I do as the preacher, as what our uh, small group leaders do, as teachers, as what anybody else would do. You play a role that is important and it's of equal value. It may not be as prominent. And that's what Paul addresses when he talks about the different members of the body. Some members of the body, some parts of the body are more prominent than others are all important. The second pitfall, kind of correction we need to make is the idea that oftentimes people with serving gifts will fall into is that anybody can do what I do. And the reason you fall into that uh, trap is because the majority of the church is gifted to serve, right? The majority of the church is not necessarily gifted to teach. And so teachers are a little more rare than people who may have some of these other serving gifts. And so you may look out and say, golly, when I look at the people in the church, there are, you know, dozens of other people in the church that are as gifted or more gifted than me in this particular gift. And so because of that, maybe I don't really need to use my gift because there are 20 other people in the church that are gifted to do this, 30 other people, 40 other people in the church that are gifted to do this, maybe I can hide a little bit 
because anybody can do what I do. And because anybody can do what I do, we kind of talk ourselves. Actually, we allow the enemy to talk us into not fully utilizing our gifts within the church because we see them more as a mundane act. And here's what I want you to, here's why I wanted to start with this today and really be able to launch us into these specific serving gifts. You need, we need as a congregation to see the serving gifts as of equal importance and of incredible value. So if you're not serving within the church because somehow you've seen it as some type of less than gift or you've seen it as some type of um, you know, prominent gift that so many people have that maybe you don't need to use it, I hope that'll be corrected in your way of thinking and you'll kind of oh, come to this with some fresh eyes this evening as we walk through uh, what some of these gifts are. So what are the primary serving gifts mentioned and demonstrated in scripture? I said this last week, I'll say it again, not all of these, um, not all of the serving gifts, not all of you know, the, the details of all serving gifts are going to be mentioned here, but I am gonna talk, I think about seven of them today with the first one being the most general. And just like last time I talked about the general gift of teaching, I want to talk first about the general gift of serving. So that's going to be the first of seven gifts that we're going to talk about, the general gift of serving. And like I did last week, I'm going to give you a definition every time um, just so you can kind of understand what I mean. And these, these definitions, I think all of them, last week there was one that I gave that was, it was unique to someone else, but all of these I believe are unique to me. The general gift of serving is the God-given ability to serve others in such a way that it points people towards the work of Christ or to come alongside and help others complete the task God has set before them. So you notice there's an or there because again, this is a, a really general gift. And so it may just, it, it likely applies to many of you in here and there are going to be other more unique and specific ways in which you use this. But let me just break this down into its two parts. The first is the God-given ability to serve others in such a way that it points people towards the work of Christ. Meaning that you serve the body in, in any service capacity, right? And people, by, by seeing what you do, You've not said a word to anybody, but by seeing what you do, they see the serving nature of our Lord. That you are, in, in many ways, the hands and feet of Jesus. And, and you're, you're showing people how it is the, the Lord himself served during his ministry and how his church is expected to serve one another and serve our world. Now, we could think of thousands of ways probably that people could do this. And so this is a really broad definition, right? Anything you do that, that, that's not talking, that's pointing people towards the work of Christ, just in the way that you're acting and the attitude that you have, the way you're serving the church, that's a serving gift. Or the other side of this is coming alongside and helping others complete the task God has set before them. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean you're coming alongside someone with a teaching gift, but oftentimes you will be. 
You'll come alongside someone that has a teaching gift and be able to serve so that that teaching gift can be used to its fullest extent. So the most obvious example of this right now is some men sitting back there that have a specific gifting and education in technology that are using that right, that hate when I mention them, and they're using this right, they're using that gift right now in service of my teaching gift. Now, that's, just, that's an easy, you know, that's picking the lowest hanging fruit there is, but it's a pretty good example of someone coming alongside of others to help them to complete the task that God has set before them. So God has set before me a teaching ministry and for me to have the teaching ministry that I have um, and to have the reach that we currently have with it, it requires people to have my microphone on so I don't have to yell. It requires people to have cameras on and knowledge of how to get that thing onto five or six different streaming platforms and something like 20 different podcast places that People can download that thing. We have people all over the world. Brian pulled this up the other day. We have people da- downloading my podcast, this Wednesday night podcast from all over the world. I have no idea why, where they heard about it, but it's happening all over the world. People are listening to this. And if that's you, if you're listening to this from somewhere in the world, why don't you go to our website, shoot us an email, tell us why, how you found it. We would just like to know. But that's what these guys are doing, right? They're coming alongside of me. But what you'll notice is that, that just like in the teaching gifts, the spiritual gift of knowledge and wisdom um, uh, complemented the spiritual gift of teaching, the same thing happens in the serving gifts. That it's not just the, the teaching gifts that serving people come in, you know, they come in and clean the room, they come in and set the room up, they come in and get everything set up and ready, they turn the mics on, they lock up after we leave. It's not just those serving gifts it's not just that serving gifts complement teaching gifts. Oftentimes, serving gifts also complement other serving gifts. And you're gonna, I'm going to save it so you can see how some of those things happen. But we see the spiritual gift of service listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verse 28. So it's in the 1 Corinthians 12 uh, list. We see this in the life of Jesus in like everything, right? Jesus said in Matthew 20, 28, even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So if you do fall into that trap, one of those traps that I mentioned earlier, kind of pitfalls, and you think, man, the more spiritually mature are the teachers, the less spiritually mature are the servants. Here are the words of Jesus. Even the son of man came to serve. So you're in really good company if you're new to studying the Bible. The son of man is Jesus. That's one of the ways he would talk about himself. Matthew often records that uh, name that Jesus would, would give to himself, the son of man, right? The son of man came not to serve, not to be served, but to serve. So if you have a serving gift, you're in great company. You have, you have Jesus as your role model and mentor. And we're going to see in the life of Jesus and in the teaching ministry of Jesus, how he instructs us over and over again to serve one another. Now, just quickly, um, just as no one with a serving gift gets to always stay quiet. I think I said that last week. 
that, that everybody, would, particularly when we're talking about the, the spiritual gift of evangelism, that all of us have the responsibility to do Matthew 28, 19 and 20, right? All of us have the responsibility to make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, even to the end of the age, right? So all the way to the end of the age, every Christian has the responsibility to fulfill the Great Commission, not just teachers. The same is true for Matthew 20, 28. So you just think like that's, right, Matthew 28, 20 is everybody's teaching, right, in some capacity, even if you're not gifted to do it. And Matthew 20, 28 is the exact opposite. Everybody's serving, even if you're not gifted to do it. Nobody gets to be above serving others. That is a gigantic trap that pastors often fall into is that we somehow think that, that particularly as churches get bigger, that we become exempt from certain commands of scripture and certain ways that we're to emulate Christ in our lives. And so that's, that's a constant check for me and it needs to be a constant check for you. So if you're one of our teachers in here, and I recognize we have some, a lot of our small group teachers are in here. A lot of our elders are in here right now. Many of them will be listening to this later. Hear me on this. Even if you have a teaching gift, you still need to be a servant. You still need to serve others because Jesus, the greatest example of the teaching gifts that we could ever see said, I came not to be served, but to serve. So this is the, he is our example. Then we go back to Acts 6, right? And I mentioned this earlier. Acts 6 is where we get what we sometimes call the proto-deacons. Uh, they don't, they're not actually called deacons there. We don't get the office of deacon actually mentioned in scripture. We get other people called um, by, the, by the Greek word that, that, that is transliterated into deacon for us. Uh, throughout, throughout Acts and throughout Paul's letters, uh, people are called deacon, but that doesn't necessarily mean they were in the office of deacon. Sometimes it just means that they were a servant of the church because that's what the word means. Until we get to uh, 1 Timothy 3, and then Paul establishes an office. So between Acts 6 and 1 Timothy 3, there's a, there's a couple of decades that have gone by. Lots happened. The church has spread. It's becoming far more organized. And kind of one of the first pieces of organization that took place in the local church uh, which pretty much primarily existed in Jerusalem. So you think about it like this, like early on, the global church and the local church was all the exact same thing. It was in one place. It was kind of all meeting in Jerusalem, okay? And the apostles were leading it. The apostles were kind of serving as the elders, but it had grown to the point where some mercy needs, there were some widows of Hellenistic Jews. These were Jews that, that were a descendant other than uh, from uh, Hebrews, right? And so often they didn't even, even speak uh, the same language and they were being neglected in care. And so what the, the, the elders, apostles of the church come up with a solution that we need some people to serve. That really the first um, solution to the problem of church growth was we need more servants, we need more people to emulate Jesus in, in a physical, like meeting the needs uh, of people within the church. And, and so we see that like in, almost instantaneously in the life of the church. Within a matter of months, that has now become a necessity. 
So the, the role of servants within the church is demonstrated to us early and often within the New Testament. So if, if, if you just look at your life and you say, man, all I've done in the church is serve, if you've done that faithfully, listen, you're not only in good company because of Jesus, you're in a long line of faithful servants going all the way back to the very like, proto-beginnings of the New Testament church. We need people to teach. We need people to serve. Um, and so that's the general gift of serving. Now let's talk about some of the specific, a little more specific gifts within the serving category of spiritual gifts. The first, this would be gift number two in the list, is hospitality. Hospitality is the God-given ability to welcome others into your home or church, make them feel comfortable, meet their needs, and support them in the task God has set before them. The God-given ability to welcome others into, the ch into your church or home, make them feel comfortable, meet their needs, and support them in their task, into the task that God has set before them. We see the gift of hospitality in the Romans 12 list. It's in Romans 12, 13. This is a, this is a gift of ease. Not that it's easy, but when you have people that are gifted in hospitality, Sir, using that gift within the church, whether that's within the, 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 the walls of the church, within an, an outreach ministry of the church, or even kind of in, in some other uh, way, even in their own home, as, as they're meeting new people or bringing into their homes as an extension of the local church. It's not that it's easy, but it puts other people at ease. It is really hard to walk into a church for the first time. Some of you haven't done that in a really, really long time. And the longer we go from that last experience we had walking into a church for the first time to today, the more, it, the more likely we are to forget what it was like. Now, some of you, as I look out here, are relatively new, right? And you remember and maybe you walked in, maybe you moved here and you're, you, you, you dread it. As I talk to people that move here, I always tell them, you know, like I think the hardest thing to do about moving, particularly if you really liked the church that you were in, like it was a good church that you were in before, the hardest thing to do about moving for a Christian is finding a new church. You get one shot a week, right? It's been really hard during COVID. I mean, for a while, like you didn't get a shot at all, you know? You get one shot a week. And if they weren't honest online, if it wasn't what they were, you know, if what they were selling and what they were actually offering weren't the same thing, man, you feel like you had to start all over again, right? And so I can almost see it. I stand by that door for a reason. I want to see you as you're coming in, our, our connect teams there. Like we've got people in place, the right people doing the right things. But I watch people walk in. You can almost just see it on their face. Like there's just this level of, of nervous energy in people. Like, here we go again. All right, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go. And look, I, I, am, I don't like walking into a, a room full of strangers. I am super comfortable walking into here because you're my family. But I don't like walking into a room full of, of strangers. Um, so much so, Brian and Michael, I don't know that I've ever told them this. 
Um, but I won't even hardly go to an SBCV event, like our state convention events, that I don't invite at least one of those guys to go with me. Now, it's good that they go, but I like going in with somebody else because I, I don't like going into places where I don't, I don't know people. I'm uncomfortable in those kind of situations. Um, I'm not one of those people that, you know, never meets a stranger. Some of you are that way. Some of you can go into a room of like 30 people and you'll know everybody's names in the first five minutes and, you know, know all their stories. Like, I'm not that guy. So I get, I, I, I can empathize with people walking in our building knowing I don't know a soul in there. Well, we need people with the spiritual gift of hospitality. They have the ability to kind of make, bring the, bring the nervous tension down a notch to make people feel comfortable, to set them at ease, to meet their needs. Here's how I know we have people with the spiritual gifts of hospitality in this room. The, the last time that I taught Connect class, we have a couple of people in here who were in Connect class with me. The last time I taught Connect class a couple of weeks ago, I wanna say there were four different people in our church that stopped in that room to, to ask if anybody wanted water. Now, part of the reason they did that is they know that I don't have the spiritual gift of hospitality and probably failed to offer them something to drink, right? I know my wife knows that and that's why she does it every time. But other people do it too. Why? Because some of you are just great at that. Like you're great at setting people at ease. And whether it's here, whether it's in your house, you're great at meeting people's needs, supporting people, helping people kind of find their way. And the church needs this. The church needs others who will get down on their knees as Jesus did in, in John chapter 13 and wash somebody's feet. And you say, wait, is washing feet hospitality? Absolutely it was because you couldn't recline at the table with dirty feet and you had dirty feet. And so one of the host's jobs in first century Israel was to wash his guests' feet or at least have one of his servants wash his guests' feet so that they would all feel comfortable then, at ease then, to, to, to recline at the table. They didn't sit in chairs. They kind of reclined. And it's hard to do that if somebody's got, you know, uh, sandal feet sitting next to you. And so Jesus in John 13 meets this need. And then after doing that, he says this at the end of that passage in John 13 and verse 20. He says, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I, I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Man, if that doesn't reinforce the idea of needing hospitable people who are receiving, who are the, the feet washers of new people, of, of people that are coming in for the first time. We need people that are open their homes to new people. Look. People come to, a, come to a church, they come into the life of a church for varying reasons. There are people who move here, they hear about us, they see us online, they meet a neighbor, they meet a friend, they come to faith in Jesus through a witness. That's how we hope people come into the life of, life of our church. Some, they, they just try everything. There's all of these different streams, church history and background and spirituality, all of these different streams, and everybody kind of needs to be met at a different level. And we need people that are aware of that, that are receiving people in the name of Jesus, recognizing that when we receive them, we're receiving him. So to, to, uh, to minimize the spiritual gift of hospitality is, is really to um, close ourselves off to the world and say, we don't need anyone else coming in here. And I think that would obviously go directly against 
the teachings of Jesus. Let's think about it like this from Acts chapter nine. In, uh, in the book of Acts, Paul um, is persecuting Christians and, um, and even stands by as Stephen is stoned on the road to um, Emmaus, not the road to Emmaus, on the road to Damascus. He is, um, that was the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Um, he is, meets the Lord, right? And um, goes, on, goes on ahead of himself. And the Lord appears to a guy named Ananias and says, this guy's gonna come stay with you for a little while. And he's like, you mean the guy who was killing all those people? Like that guy? Yeah, that, that guy, he's gonna come stay with you for a little while and you're gonna minister to him. And, and the Lord even tells Ananias in Acts 9, because I've, I've, got, I've got great suffering ahead for, for Paul. Because with that great suffering came the spread of the gospel across three continents. Could you imagine if Ananias had said, no, nah, I'm good. I'm, I'm not willing to meet that guy. I'm not willing to be hospitable towards that guy. What, 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 what would the trajectory of the New Testament church have been if the guy the Lord had spoken to and said, all right, you're gonna be the first one to really let, let this guy into your house and, and minister to him? If he had said, no, what, what, what's the trajectory? Now, of course, we know in the providence of God, Ananias answered that in the affirmative and we get to look back over the course of uh, the New Testament developing the life of Paul and, and just see the glory of God in that. Um, but it all started with a guy who said, I'll be hospitable. We need people who will be hospitable. Number three, the spiritual gift of mercy. The, God, the spiritual gift of mercy is the God-given ability to sense the emotional and physical needs of others have compassion for, their, for those people and provide support during the time of need. Now, you may, have, you may be very socially aware and not have the spiritual gift of mercy. I really feel like you need to have all three of these. Like each of these clauses are important, right? That you need to be able to sense the emotional and physical needs of others, which some people just can't do. Some people are oblivious to the, the, the fact that other people are hurting around them. And they probably need to soften that a little bit and work on it a little bit. That's more of a people skill than it is a spiritual gift, okay? But you definitely need to be able to have that. God, God needs to have birthed that in you where you just kind of know, okay, something's wrong here. Have compassion for them so you don't just recognize it but you're actually moved to compassion. And if you want to know, I know I'm sharing a lot of personal things here, but my wife's in here. She can, she can affirm this. I, I'm, I'm very socially aware. Like I know if somebody's uncomfortable, I can just kind of tell. It gets a little awkward for me because it's, it, as, at times, I'm working on it, okay? But it's at times hard for me to move that next stage and actually be compassionate enough to want to do something about it. I'm kind of, I'm kind of like, huh, they're not really, right? And so oftentimes my goal is, let me go find somebody else that can help fix this. <laughs> because thank God he's put people in my life and in our congregation who are great at this. 
And I'm like, let me, let me get you to somebody uh, who, who, can, who can help, right? Now, sometimes it ends up being me that needs to help and God is faithful in his grace that he, that he gives to me. Um, but I hope in all of these spiritual gifts, you're like, oh yeah, that one's definitely not mine, right? Well, the spiritual gift of mercy is not, is not mine. Um, and, then, and then actually support people de- during that time. We see the spiritual gift in Romans 12, verse eight. So it's in the Romans list. Jesus, you know, he says, I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these of my brothers, you did it to me, right? So when I was hungry, you, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was in prison, you visited me, right? What if you do the least of one of these? These people in, in desperate need. And so many people want to pass that by. In the teaching ministry of Jesus, we see the spiritual gift of mercy on display in the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? So you've, you've got... You've got the guy on the road who's, who encounters robbers and is, is left with nothing and beat up, right? And, and a priest goes by and a scribe goes by, right? These, these high and mighty religious people, I guess the pastor, right, walks by. Uh, I like to hope to think that I'm, I've matured spiritually enough that I would stop and help. Uh, I'm, but I'm challenged when I read that. I, I truly am. When I read the Good Samaritan, I'm challenged every time to think if I would be one of those other guys. I should be honest. And I think some of you probably should be that honest too and think, I really need, I need that, that parable in my life. I need to be reminded, slow down and look at people. Slow down and listen to people. Observe people. See the guy on the road, okay? And, um, and so, and, but then the Samaritan, the, the, the guy that you would think would be least likely to do it, comes and he, we're told in Luke 10, he bandages up his, his wounds. He puts him on his donkey. He brings him to the nearest town. He sets him up in a hotel. He pays for it. He meets these needs, right? So we, we get to see this demonstrated in a story of, of Jesus here in, in the Good Samaritan where somebody does exactly what happens. He senses the need He has compassion upon the need and that compassion moves him to action. It moves him towards doing something. Where the religious people didn't have that, the Samaritan did. And so this is is how many of you meet the needs of people within our our church is that you're driven towards kind of what we would sometimes call compassion or mercy type ministries. that, That you want to help people. And, and I know this exists in our church because people will come to me and say, how can I, how can I use this name? It's one of the more common questions I get, right? I want to help people. How can I, how can I help people? How can I help? And, it, and sometimes it's a little more specific, right? I want to help shut-ins or I want to help widows or I want to help, you know, single moms. I, I want to help people that have lost their jobs. Uh, and look, we can't have a ministry, a, a, you know, formalized ministry for every type of person that we need to be helped. We don't have the resources. It would stretch us way too thin, right? So just like we have certain ministries to the ends of the earth and we say, we're going to do that, um, then the same way with compassion ministry, there there are going to be certain ways that we do that, right? Our foot ministry here at our church, which I started to hear whispers, was, was about to maybe soon going to start meeting again um, and, and working again. And I really hope we get to that point 
where, where, where they, those guys uh, and those ladies and men come back together and start that ministry again. Because there's a great mercy need within our, within our church and community. More people from the community came than people from our church to, to have their feet cared for. Um, we need people to do that. And, and if you have this ministry, if you have this spiritual gift, you need to find a way to do it recognizing that God's also going to give you, you know, kind of one-off moments. Those, those, oh yeah, here it is, right? So uh, you, you just have an encounter with somebody, whether it's in the church or just through, through the ministries of the church or out in our community, you have that ability to exercise that gift. Got to have people uh, who want to love and, and help people um, and you know, do what Jesus said, which you did the least of one of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So we recognize that as our foot ministry uh, is, um, you know, is, is helping to, to care for elderly people's feet, they're doing it under Jesus. As, as we're meeting the emotional and physical needs of people in a, in a merciful and compassionate way, uh, we're doing it as unto the Lord. Number four, That's not right. What's that supposed to be? I'm going to skip it and come back to it. Number five. (laughs) That's not what that's supposed to say. Administration. I'll think about it in a minute. Ah, no, I got it. Number four. Leadership, that's what it's supposed to say. I'm teaching this in Rwanda in two weeks, so let me change it in my notes now before I do that there. Leadership, the God-given ability to receive clear vision and direction from God, communicate that vision to others, and inspire them to help carry out God's plan. Now, you may hear leadership and think, wait, Surely those people are talking, right? And they are. Look, nobody's expecting serving gifts to not have any talking in it at all. If you can be hospitable without talking or you can practice mercy without talking, you're probably not going to get very far, okay? So it's not that the serving gifts don't talk. They, they do. And leaders talk. But biblical leadership is a servant quality. It, it's... The world's leadership is so foreign to, or let's say like this, biblical leadership is so foreign to the world that they so often reject biblical leadership practices um, because it just doesn't register at all. I mean, Jesus, obviously the greatest example of all of these is our greatest example. By the way, leadership is listed in Romans 12, uh, 8, so the Romans 12 list. Let me just think about the, the, the ministry of Jesus. It's building up to kind of this culminating event in Jerusalem. He's been in ministry now three plus years, has a huge Galilean crowd, um, has developed even just in kind of a week of during, during the festival time there in Jerusalem, a pretty big crowd in, in Jerusalem showing up. And he goes into like that final moment with his disciples in the upper room, 
He washes their feet, right? He serves them. So, so it's beginning with service. But what does he do in the upper room? He establishes the, the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. Now, I promise you I'm going to some more of this. Think about what Jesus does. The, the King of kings and Lord of lords leads by saying what? This is my body broken for you. This is my blood spilled for you. So the greatest example of leadership that we have in scripture is the one who said, I'm going to break myself for you. I'm going to give of myself for you. So worldly leadership says, follow me, build me up, right? Increase my tribe. Biblical leadership turns that upside down and says, if you follow me, I'm going to break myself for you. If you follow me, I'm going to serve you. If you follow me, I'm going to wash your feet. So leadership's a service to God's people. But as they serve God's people, they receive vision from the Lord in accordance with scripture, just like we would have seen with prophecy or anything else, right? But receive vision from the Lord, receive direction from God, able to communicate that to others and inspire them, bring them along to help carry out God's plan as they're giving themselves to those people. We see this gift exercise in the Old Testament in Nehemiah. Nehemiah's often, if there's any body in, from a worldly perspective that, that the world wants to look at in the Bible, it's Nehemiah. People um, will often want preachers to come in and talk through Nehemiah with, you know, executive people and, and stuff. And Nehemiah has some pretty good leadership examples in it. It is not the point of the book though at all. All right. So if, if you're going to read Nehemiah, don't read Nehemiah as, if it's, as if it is some kind of leadership, you know, um, how to win friends and influence people kind of book, because that, that's not what it is. But there are a few little practical things that we see in Nehemiah. At the beginning of his time, right, he goes to the king, he's in exile, he goes to the king, and he says to the king uh, in, uh, in Nehemiah chapter two, why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Um, then he also says to the king later in that chapter, you see the trouble we're in, or no, he says to, to the people, you, you, see, you see the trouble we're in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins when its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. Uh, and I told them of the hand of God that had been upon me for good and also of the word of the king God had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened the hand for the good work. So we see Nehemiah kind of receive this vision from the Lord communicate that vision from the Lord, organize other people. You get all the way to chapter six and you've got these people, Sanballat and Tobiah, who are desiring to like thwart the plan of God for the rebuilding of the wall around um, Jerusalem. And, and it gets to the point where the, the wall had completely been rebuilt except for the gates. And they're trying to distract Nehemiah. Uh, and they send, for, they send for like parlay, come out and talk to us. And Nehemiah says, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you, right? Leaders, Nehemiah shows us don't become distracted by the world. This isn't about building your own name. This isn't about forging these, you know, relations. Because Nehemiah could have done that. He could have established himself as the ruler in Jerusalem and, and forged these treaties with these other peoples that are around. They kind of built his own thing, but it wasn't about him. It was about the mission, Right? And that's what we see. We see 
um, we see Nehemiah being able to communicate that mission and inspire others to do it. And that's what we need within the church. Now, again, the mission of God doesn't change with the church. It's to make disciples. This is what we do. We, we make disciples. We kind of further clarify that here at our church with, with the phrases, right? Reach up, reach in, reach out. And, and the church needs servants, people who will serve the church by keeping us on vision and keeping us focused on mission. I actually see this as um, the, the, the primary way in which I serve our church and actually the primary way in which I serve amongst our elders. I see my job as being one that, that keeps us focused. So I'm often asking the question, how is this helping us with mission? If we spend this money, how is it helping us with mission? If we start this new ministry, how is it helping us with, with our mission? Always trying to bring it back to that point. As we serve the body, right? We need people that, that will lead in a way that Jesus and other people in the, in the scriptures led, not in a way that the world says to lead. Now, number five, administration. The spiritual gift of his administration is the God-given ability to organize, plan, recruit, and direct people and resources effectively so that the church can carry out its mission. Organize, plan, recruit, direct people and resources effectively so that the church can carry out its mission. Now, you may not be able to do every one of those things. You may still have the spiritual gift of administration. We need organized people. We need planners. We need recruiters. We need people who know how to take people and put them in the right places. We need people who know how to resource people. The spiritual gift of administrations in the second in the First Corinthians twelve uh, list. It's in verses twenty seven and twenty eight. Have you ever thought we talk about Luke um, Luke ten here because it's where we get praise and go from, right? Um, in verses one and two, after this, the Lord appointed seventy two others and sent them out ahead two by two in every town and place where he himself was about to go and said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. And that's where we get praise and go from uh, as our um, national and international outreach ministry here at the church. But that keeps going, right? Jesus keeps talking from verse three, he goes all the way down to verse 12 in Luke chapter 10 and is very organized, Right? He tells them what to bring. He tells them what not to bring. He tells them where to go. He tells them where not to go. He tells them when to stay, who to stay with, where not to stay, who not to stay with. He even sends them, divides them up into teams, right? It wasn't just that Jesus got 72 people and said, all right, time for y'all to go. And they just looked at him. No, he gave them really clear direction, really clear instructions on what to do. It is necessary within the life of the church to have people who can look from a organizational mind and say, this piece needs to go here and this piece needs to go here. And once those pieces are working, then we're gonna need these four pieces. And once those pieces are working, then we're gonna need these eight pieces, right? You, you need people that can understand that resources, while we trust God to give us everything that we need, from a practical sense, what we have is limited. And for whatever reason, you know, it's not, it's not untrusting to say we have limited resources, right? We're, we're both, uh, we're both uh, trusting and wise. And for whatever reason, God has chosen us to bless us. And we want to say it like this. God has chosen us to bless us to the point that he has chosen to bless us with the physical resources that we have. 
Now, we could pray that God would do more, but until he does, we're going to operate within the physical resources that we have. And we need people to be able to look at that and say, these are the resources we have. This is going to be the best use of it. So you can see how these people partner with the leaders, right? Both serving the church, but doing it together. And, and so we've identified people in our church that have this. Not, these aren't the only people in our church that have it, but we've put these kind of people on our personnel team. We've put these kind of people on our finance team. Those are basically the only two teams outside of the officers of the church, the deacons and elders, that you can't just volunteer for. If you want to serve, you know, pretty much in any way capacity of this church, as long as you're kind of capable of doing it, we'll, we'll find a way for you to do it. But if you walk up to me and say, I'd really like to be on the finance team, we're going to have to have some discussions. And the elders actually determine together who sits on that team and our personnel team. Why? Because we need really good people doing that. We, we need people without agendas. We, we, need, we need people that understand the resources and organization. Could you imagine a church that didn't have anything, that didn't value those kind of people? Well, if you can't imagine it, fortunately, the church in the New, the, the New Testament gives us an example of a church like this. The church at Corinth was exactly that way. There was no organizational structure in the church. And Paul actually tells them, that particularly in their worship, it was just... It's a madhouse. It's like, don't do it like that. He actually spends several chapters. Like, don't do it like that. And then he, in 1 Corinthians 14, he says, but all things should be done decently and in order. Order's not a bad thing. You know, programming and scheduling and, and budgets. Now, some of you, like some people don't come to our members meetings. They're just like, I don't, y'all are gonna do it. I don't care. It's fine. I trust you. And I get it, and I greatly appreciate the fact that people trust, trust us. But everybody ought to care that the church is ordered. I mean, you may not be gifted in that and be the one doing it, but we, we need people that, that will. These people are essential to the church. Number six. Yeah. God-given ability to identify need. Uh, so this is the spiritual gift of giving. I started reading without telling you. The God-given ability to identify needs and give freely from personal resources to meet those needs. So the spiritual gift of giving is the God-given ability to identify needs and give freely from personal resources to meet those needs. Now, as I have said with so many others, it bears repeating here. Everybody's called to give. Everybody's called to give. If you're going to be a part of it and an actual part of it, I'm not just an attender. Not just a, I'm sitting in the crowd, but you're going to be an actual part of the church. There, there, is, there is a, you know, you, you know the phrase, you know, having skin in the game. There's something to having skin in the game. There's something about, I'm, I'm going to sacrificially give to the life of, life of the church. Um, so I think everybody should give, but I also think, just like everybody should evangelize, right? Um, I, I think everybody should give, but I think some people have very specific, are very specifically gifted in this way. That just like some people identify spiritual and emotional needs of people, some people are able to identify certain needs, certain things the church needs, certain you know, resources and ways that, that financially the, a, a need could be met and then would give freely, abundantly out of personal resources to meet those needs. And these aren't just rich people. 
The example Jesus gives us about giving actually is the exact opposite of that. In Luke 21, we're told Jesus looked at him, he's sitting outside of the collection boxes, you know, in the temple, and he looks up and saw the rich putting in their gifts in the offering boxes. And it would make all kind of noise. There was, there was metal, so metal on metal, you know, making all kind of racket. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly, I tell you, this poor woman has put in more than all of them. For they all contribute out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. So some people that have the spiritual gift of giving don't have very much to give, but they faithfully give it. I'll tell you what I have found though. People with the spiritual gift of giving, God oftentimes does bless financially because, and look, this isn't some sort of prosperity gospel, right? You sow, you know, a dollar and God's gonna give you a hundred. That's not what that means. Um, but sometimes God does that in the lives of, of people with this gift. He, he continues to, to bless them financially because he, he trusts and knows the heart of that person is to meet the needs and, and to give so that people go, right? So part of our pray, send, go, pray, send, go, part of send is give. A lot of churches actually call it pray, give, go. We call it pray, send, go first because we base it off the words in Luke 10. But also I think there's more to sending than just giving, right? A lot of people can write a check, but not everybody's a sender. Like sending is, is an important part of it. But we give, and, and so everybody gives, but some people are able to do so even, even more so. In 2 Corinthians 9, Paul again instructing the church at Corinth, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. These people are just, it, listen, you know you have the spiritual gift of giving if it just makes you happy to do it. You just love doing it. You, just, you love being able to give so that, the, the mission of God can be met in the church. And so obviously we need the free giving of all of God's people to be able to accomplish our mission, but we need the specific giving of, of gifted people in this way. The last one is the spiritual gift of faith. Another thing that we all should have, right? And obviously faith is a gift. We're told that in Ephesians, right? It's the gift of God so that no man can boast. That's talking about our justification. This is talking about faith as it relates to the ongoing work of the church, so faith, the spiritual gift of faith is the God-given ability to trust that the Lord will accomplish his work, demonstrate reliance upon his uh, provision, and envision new tasks that could only be accomplished under his power. We see the spiritual gift of faith in the 1 Corinthians 12 list in verses 8 and 9. We see this demonstrated in the life of Jesus. He says, truly I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing for whatever the father does that the son does likewise. There are things that Jesus in his earthly body demonstrated in faith, right? He, he, he steps out of, he doesn't step out of his deity. He doesn't stop being God because he comes to earth. But there are some limitations that he allows to be put on himself temporarily. And by allowing these limitations, these bodily limitations to be put on him, what Jesus does then is demonstrate to us great faith in God that the Father will continue the work in and through the Son, right? So he demonstrates this to us, and we need people that this spiritual gift of faith that casts visions beyond what our resources are, that casts visions bigger than what we're currently thinking and hoping and dreaming that see new tasks and new ways to help us to accomplish our mission. Because without faith, oftentimes it's just us doing what we've always done because we know 
we can do what we've always done. But we need people with the spiritual gift of faith constantly prodding us, saying, let's do more. Let, let's do more. God's gonna gift us to do more. God's gonna, God's gonna bring new people to do more. God's gonna bring in new resources to do more. Let's keep doing more. Acts 6 calls Stephen, one of those proto-deacons, a man full of faith. Well, what happens to him? He wasn't a deacon for long or whatever, he, whatever they ended up calling him then. They didn't call him deacon. Whatever they called him, he wasn't that long, right? Becomes the first martyr of the New Testament church and stands under great persecution, threat of death. Preaches one of the greatest sermons ever preached. <laughs> Clearly communicating the gospel of Jesus, a man full of faith. This is what we need. Men and women in the church, full of faith. And I think God, God obviously, if, you, if you're in Christ today, it's because God has given you faith or you wouldn't be in Christ because faith is a gift of God so that no man can boast. But for some, God just gives this extra measure of, of trust and reliance on him to be able to see how he will accomplish his uh, purpose. I, I need these people. Sometimes I, I, I can be so, I'm not, pes- I'm not a pessimist, but I'm very much a realist. And, and I can be so dollars and cents sometimes. Uh, this is another prayer for me in, in my own life. God, just give me this, give me this grander, not a grander vision for, for my sake or for even our sake or our church's namesake, but for your glory and, and, and your mission for, for your church. And I'm grateful for those people that'll push me to, to, to want us to do more uh, as it relates to, to God's, God's mission for our church. So I know it's, it's 7.30, so I'm, I've got to wrap up. For most of you, you heard one of these and you went, wait, that's me. That's how I serve the church. I come alongside of people. I meet people's needs. I help people accomplish their tasks. You see all those serving ministries even come alongside of other serving ministries. Don't, don't relegate yourself to some kind of second class. Well, anybody can do what I do. No, we can't. If you're here, you're here for a purpose. God's put you in this church, in this place for a reason to contribute to this mission. And while there may be more like you who, who also do what you do, if God's gifted that many people in our church to do it, guess what? That means that we need that many people to do it. So you are important. Next week, we're gonna talk about two things. I'm gonna talk about miraculous gifts next week. Gifts of healing, speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues. I'm going to deal with that some next week. And then uh, kind of be in two parts next week. I'm going to deal with that. And then the final thing, I'm going to say, okay, what happens if you don't know what your gift is? I want to end with that question. How do you, how do you, how do you find that? And then finally, how do you strengthen that? How do you make sure um, you're, you're growing in that, in that grace that God has given to you? So let me pray for us. We'll be done. Thank you again, God. Opportunity to teach. Thank you for the there's such varied gifts within our church. And every time I teach this subject and think about these serving gifts, I become all the more grateful that you've gifted people in my life with these things because I so greatly see the need in my own life to surround myself with these kind of people. Continue to increase these in me, I pray, and continue to increase them in people in our church so that we can continue to serve together. Uh, thank you for gifting us and using us And uh, for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you to those that joined us online. We'll see you back next week. Thank you guys that were uh, in here with us. God bless.